Okay, we are finishing a section in Colossians. For those of you who haven't uh, been here, and there's a couple of you, uh, we're not going to go through all of it again, but um, the book of Colossians is written to combat a heresy, and the heresy was that they were going to add some things to Jesus Christ, and they were also going to lessen who Jesus Christ was. And so Paul spends the first part of the book reestablishing the doctrine of who Christ is, that in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, that he holds all things together, that he is um, uh, the one who reconciles us to God. And he goes through all of that doctrine. And then he begins talking about the actual heresy itself and some of the issues. And so in chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 8, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. And then he talks about what those things will be. Don't let anybody take you captive. There's a heresy. Don't let yourself be taken captive. And once again, he points us toward Jesus Christ. He says, You are identified with Jesus Christ. Don't let anybody pull you away from that. Uh, last week, we looked at the three main areas that uh, we get pulled away by. And they are starting in verse um, 16 down to the end of the chapter. Uh, the first one was legalism. Uh, legalism says that if I add some rules and laws that I can obey, then somehow I will become more acceptable to God. And it doesn't matter where the rules come from. They pulled the rules out of the Old Testament. They talked about Sabbaths and feast days and all these other things. And Paul says that is a shadow of what is to come. The Old Testament points toward Christ. It's all fulfilled in Jesus. Then there's mysticism, that there's something that can be, um, uh, that, that, that only if you are initiated or somewhat super spiritual can you achieve to. And that will then cause us, <laughs> that's okay. I know, it happens to me when I'm teaching, my phone goes off, and uh, so uh, that's why I don't bring my phone to Sunday school, but um, that's okay, Gail. Um, mysticism says that there's some, something else besides Jesus that would make our life more spiritual, that would be something that would add to it. And it's interesting because it says, don't let anybody disqualify you. Because my experience with that is it's always a disqualifying thing. If you don't have this, then you're at a lower tier spiritually than everybody else. And Paul says the problem with that is it disconnects us from the head. We're to be clinging to Jesus Christ and to his word. And that has been revealed to us in the person of Christ and it's been revealed to us in the word of God. We don't need anything else doesn't mean that you're where you should be. All of us could obey better. All of us could study more. All of us could do more, but we're not going to find it through worship of angels and, and mystical experiences. And then lastly was asceticism. Asceticism is where you actually decide I'm going to punish my body to make myself more spiritual, uh, to, to, to suppress the desire of the, f the flesh. And Paul says there's no value in it. 
There's no value in trying to make your life harder so that you will be more likely to obey because obedience doesn't come through the flesh. You cannot force the flesh into obedience. And now we get to what I think is the end of this one section, the introduction to the next one. And it's um, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. And what Paul is going to do is summarize this and tell us what we should do. He's just told us what not to do. Now he's going to tell us explicitly what to do. Um, And what we're to do is what he's been telling us to do throughout the whole book. But shift your focus from all of the other stuff and put it where it should be on Jesus Christ. Uh, You guys been to magic shows? Of course. Everybody's been to a magic show. Um, Everybody knows there's no such thing as magic, right? It's all misdirection. I remember being at a magic show in college and the guy was doing his thing and and the, the beautiful assistant, right, who's not wearing as much as she should, walks in from the side. And what happens? Everybody turns and looks at her. And the guy next to me, he's a friend of mine in college, he goes, oh, he goes, that makes me mad. And I said, what made you mad? He said, I looked at her. I took my eyes off the magician. And it's like, so? And he goes, that's where they get you. You, you, They direct your attention somewhere else and you miss it. Okay, Paul is saying all of these other things are misdirection. You take and you look at anything else but Christ. It's, It's actually kind of an inverted example. The point is, keep your eyes on Christ and the ma- you won't be distracted by this other stuff. This other stuff won't fool you. But if you, if you take your eyes off of Christ, we're gonna be fooled. And so that's what's taking place here is keep your eyes where they're supposed to be. And where are they supposed to be? On Jesus Christ. And where is Jesus Christ? <coughs> Seated at the right hand of the Father. Okay? so. Starting in Colossians 3, verse 1. We're not going to read chapter 2. If you haven't been here, go back and read it. It's a great uh, chapter. (coughs) It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. (coughs) Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Um, it begins by saying, if you have been raised, it actually is since you have been raised. It's not an if that's a question, this might be true. This is speaking to believers. And it could be translated, since you have been raised with Christ. Uh, we talked about being raised with Christ last week. We'll talk about it again some more here in a minute. But I, I think the key is that those two phrases, um, seek the things that are above and set your minds on the things that are above. Seek the things that are above, set your mind on the things that are above. Um, I remember another translation where it said that instead of seek the things that are above, set your affections on the things that are above. In fact, we had a song, right, April? You want to sing it for us? No, okay. 
<laughs> yeah, it's running through your head right now. It was set your affections on the things above and not on the things of the earth. That wasn't the tune. I said it instead of saying it. You should be happy about that. Um, <clears throat> set your affections on the things above. One of them, and it's not totally clear from the passage, but I think what he's getting at is set your affections, your uh, emotion, your heart on what is above and set your mind on what is above. Um, and, and I go back to the verse, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The, our, our attention is to be directed above because that's where Jesus Christ is. So let, let's look at seeking and setting first. Some of it we covered last week when we talked about what does it mean to be raised with Christ? And, and he, um, uh, he obviously refers back to that. Um, when I think of seeking the things above, my mind goes to Matthew chapter 6. Um, the end of Matthew chapter 6. Go ahead and turn there with me. <clears throat> um, the entire passage begins at verse 25. We're not going to read all of it, but it begins in verse 25 of chapter 6 of Matthew. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is, life, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then he talks about the birds and the, the grass. And then if you go down, <coughs> he picks that same thing up again. Therefore, verse 31, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. <clears throat> Jesus says, seek the things that are above. Why does he tell us to seek the things? I know it's a little different perhaps than Colossians, but why are we seeking the things that are above? Well, I guess better question is why don't we seek the things that are above? Because the things that are below are right in front of us. Very good, Matt. Um, we know that we need these things. We know intellectually we need those things, but it's too easy to shift our attention to the things that are below. Um, Anybody else have an answer to that? Why don't we seek the things that are above? What, what, is, what is Jesus saying here? Go, uh, we'll get, uh, yeah, go ahead. Okay, very good. Tom. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there's a real oh, go ahead. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Yeah. Um, if you are in the flesh, you will seek things of the flesh. If you're in the spirit, you'll seek things of the spirit. Yeah. 
Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's not merely just because of what's visible in front of you, it's because where, where, where you are on the inside. And that's, those are the things you will see. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's easier because of those things to pick up a lie. That's okay. Yeah, that's interesting. <coughs> where your heart is, there where your where your treasure is, there your heart will be. The things that we value. Um, there is definitely an aspect of faith here, right? In other words, believing that what God has said about what is truly important is what is truly important to us. Um, and if we don't have that aspect of faith, then. Uh, then we're not going to be seeking the things that are above. And let's face it, we all deal with this. We're, we're all concerned with all the stuff that's down here. And it's real easy to take our mind off of what is actually important. Somebody was going to comment over here. Yeah, Mel. The things below we think <clears throat> we can control. <laughs> yes, we think that we are in charge, we can control, we can provide for ourselves. Right? We, we can go out and work and provide for ourselves and take care of and do all the things that we're supposed to, but I, I think that's a really good insight. We think we can control this, um, but God says, seek the more important things and these things will take care of themselves. <clears throat> There's an aspect of prayer when it comes to seeking. If you just look over into uh, chapter seven, really part of the same passage, <clears throat> Um, verse 7, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, um, it will be opened. And then it talks about asking for something, will God give you something, um, uh, something evil in place of something good. Um, seeking involves prayer. I mean, we can talk about seek the things above, but what does that mean? Well, it means that we are depending upon God to provide for the things that we actually need, and that's done through prayer. And that goes back, Mel, to what you said, I think. Uh, the reason sometimes that we don't pray is we don't see prayer as having much effect. I pray for this, and I don't see things happening immediately. Whereas if I go out and work, I can pay for my dinner. But, but seek... God, seek the kingdom of God, seek him through prayer, and, and God will take care of the things that are fleshly and give you the things that are, are heavenly as well. Um, one other verse on seeking, um, Hebrews chapter 11, which of course is the faith chapter. I would call it the faith chapter. Um, it's talking about Enoch's faith in verse 5 says, by faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And then verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and what? He rewards those who seek him. Um, we, it's, it's fine to talk about seeking the things that are above, but it's important to understand that God rewards that. He, he rewards those who diligently seek him. And again, that's, that's dependent upon our faith. Do you really believe that if you seek God with all your heart, you will be rewarded for that? 
like Enoch was, that that pleases God for us to seek him and that he honors us when we do that. Um, if you go to verse um, 13 of Hebrews, it says, uh, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them afar, from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And all of the people mentioned in Hebrews 11 were seeking something more than what was here. So um, that's should be a little bit convicting because I think all of us can stop and think of how we have spent a lot of our time and spend a lot of our time seeking the things below. And we take our eyes off of Christ and then we're lured away into some of these false doctrines. And Paul says that in Romans, I consider the sufferings now to be uh, not worthy to be compared to the glories that will, that will come. <clears throat> Any other comments on seeking? I don't, I don't want to move too fast past that. We can focus on some of the other things, but that, that idea of are, are we seeking God? Are we seeking Jesus Christ? Are we desiring the things that are above? That, that's what protects us in a sense um, from, the, because we're gonna place our thoughts on Jesus Christ. Uh, our desire is to be like him. That protects us from cults and thoughts that would take us away from Jesus Christ, or at least helps protect us from that. Okay, well then go to the second part of this because it's not just your affections, <coughs> it's also your mind. Because it says, if you've been raised with Christ, which you have, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above and not on things that are on the earth. That concept of setting your mind on things above, Paul deals with that a lot throughout his writings. Um, and it also gets dealt with throughout uh, Peter talks about it, it's talked about in Hebrews, <clears throat> the idea of setting our mind and thinking about the things that are above or the things that are promised to us. Oftentimes it's set your hope on these things. So go to Romans with me, chapter 8, and 
starting at verse uh, 5. It says, um, actually, we almost should read further back, but it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's laws. Indeed, it cannot, for those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Um, there's a division there between what we set our minds on. Do you set your mind on the things of the flesh? Then, then your actions will become hostile to God. You will be um, um, yeah, your, your actions will be hostile to God. It will lead to death. Do you set your mind on the things of God? Um, uh, if you are, then you are doing the things of the Spirit. Um, how do we do that? What does it mean to set our mind on the things of the Spirit? Darla. Um, I, yeah, and you, you mentioned meditation. We, we go back to the Psalms, and, and David spent a lot of time thinking about, about uh, God and meditating. And we're actually asked to do that, right? Psalm 1. I'll, um, go back to Psalm 1. I was going to quote it, but I'm sure I'm going to mess it up. But... Um, I think I could do it, but uh, wonderful psalm. Um, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not weather in all that he does, he prospers. If you go back to Joshua chapter 1. And let me see if I can find it here. Uh-oh. Um... Um, Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 this is when Joshua is being commissioned to be the general to go into the land God says this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate it meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success so uh, uh, meditation on God's word is certainly a, a main part of that. So how do we do that? How many of you have large blocks of time during the day to meditate on God's word? 
four o'clock in the morning. I just wanted to, to the, the definition of the word for, for the meditate, what he's using there, I think it's really helpful. Um, okay. The, uh, so uh, to direct one's mind to a thing, to seek, to strive, to seek after one's interest or advantage, or Strong's uh, goes into exercise the mind that is to entertain or have sentiment or opinion, by implication, to be mentally disposed, more or less earnestly in a certain direction, intensively to interest oneself in. Okay. And it's important because there's two ideas of meditating. One is to empty your mind. That's kind of an Eastern idea of meditation. That is exactly the opposite of Christian meditation. Christian meditation is to focus your thoughts on, on God or on something which is in his word and to think about those things and to think deeply on it and to chew on it. And it's something that requires time and it's hard for us because everybody has like right Gail everybody has their cell phone and sometimes that cell phone goes off right when you're meditating right um, there's there's that I'm just say <laughs> you, you have your cell phone go off something has to happen there has to be a consequence um, right I mean um, I, I don't I don't do Facebook but apparently there's kind of a thing where people take selfies of themselves meditate doing their Bible study, which is great. I, that's fine. Why are you taking a picture of yourself when you're studying, God, when you're focusing on God? I, I understand you're trying to let every, I, no, maybe I don't understand. I'll just stop right there. It's just an interesting thing. We, we are, we don't have time, but that's not really true. That's a lie that we've convinced ourselves of. We've convinced ourselves we don't have any time. Probably a, a time to turn the phone off. There's a time when you're in the car to turn the radio off. And there's got to be a time where you set aside time to think and to meditate and to, to focus on, on our, our God and on the things above. Otherwise, your attention will be drawn to all of the shiny objects that are around us. Darla. Yeah, you can read a psalm. I don't know if you can meditate on the psalm in three minutes. Um, but to take a passage of scripture in the morning and then think about it. I knew a guy who would put uh, the, the verse in his pocket and would pull it out during the day to reread what he had read that morning. And I realize some of you are going to read larger passages of scripture. But the, the point was, we have to figure out how to do this in our society. Uh, it was maybe a lot easier back when there wasn't any entertainment. But, but um, you all understand what the word amusement means? Amusement means to not think. To muse means to meditate. You are late, but that's okay. We're glad you're here. Um, uh, amuse is the word for meditate, to think. Amusement means to not think. And uh, there was a book written years ago, Amusing Ourselves to Death. We've stopped thinking, but the thing that we're supposed to be thinking about is Jesus Christ. And we have to figure out how to do that. By the way, there's some other things. We're going to run out of time. Let me just mention, um, if you went to, I'm not going to have you turn there, um, 
First Timothy four six talks about uh, training your mind. You know, let's let's go to First Timothy four six through ten. I do want you to see that. <clears throat> and by the way, I am definitely talking to myself when I'm saying those things. We're all in the same boat. There, there's nobody who doesn't have all the distractions in this whole all that are out there, and. Um, so, First uh, Timothy four six says, "If um, you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus." He's talking to Timothy, who's the pastor, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with silly, irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God. That doesn't say set your mind, but it says set your hope, which is a, I think the same idea. Set your hope on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Uh, part of setting our mind like it says here, is discipline, training your mind to think a certain way. Training your mind to reject certain things, training your mind to focus on certain things. And so that's setting our mind, okay? Any comments on that before? We only have a few minutes, but I did want to cover a little bit more in the passage. Yeah, Kirk. Just looking at the word setting. Yeah. But setting's like establishing right before that it's like Christ has set me free. Yeah. Right. So he's established he is free. Exactly. We like to translate it. So don't establish yourself in something we need that, you know, so Yeah. And you can think of a lot of other verse I mean I was gonna go to Hebrews twelve where it says, you know, Jesus for the joy set before him endured the cross, uh, despising the shame. Um, why? Because his mind was set on the hope that was to come. <clears throat> and Peter tells us that as well. Set your hope completely on the fact that Jesus Christ is going to conform you to his image. You will be like Jesus Christ. Um, go back quickly, though, to this passage because I do want to, to finish it today. By the way, next week, April and I will be gone for our last visit with Benjamin. Uh, Naomi's coming with us, too, so that's exciting. <laughs> Hopefully she's real happy about that. Um, I know she is. Um, and uh, Ryan Colburn will be teaching. So I, I, I wish I was here to hear it, but I've, I've heard, I haven't heard Ryan teach, but I've been told that he is a, a magnificent teacher. So you guys can tell me afterwards. I've just heard he's really, really good. So um, we'll bring in one of the young bucks and see if they, um, all right. Um, verse chapter 3 verse 1 again back to Colossians if you've been raised with Christ seek the things of above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God set your mind on things above not on the things that are on earth um, we would be amiss if we didn't point out that the thing that we're to be seeking is that which is above which is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ is above 
seated at the right hand of God. What is Jesus doing seated at the right hand of God? Is he just sitting? No, what's he doing? He is interceding for us. All of our hope is in Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus is interceding for us, which means if we go to Romans, and if you go to Hebrews, but go to Romans, because I think it's important to understand what it is and why we're placing our thoughts with our Savior. <clears throat> Romans chapter 8, and at the end of it, um, talks about all that God has done, of, done for us. I wish we could read the whole passage, but we don't have time. Starting in verse 31. Um, let, let's just um, back it up to verse 28. We know that, f that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. That's who we are in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> but we still have the issue of sin. And we sin, and it takes our eyes off of Christ. And we begin then to try to figure out how to be more righteous. And we put legalism, or we seek a higher experience, or we try to squeeze our body down by asceticism. And so Paul's going to talk about that. He says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then it lists all the things that could possibly do it. Um, it says there, who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who is he talking about? Who, who brings a charge against God's elect? Satan? Yeah, Satan brings charges against God's elect. Was that? And those of Satan. Anybody else bring a charge against God's elect? Everybody who's not elect brings charges against the elect. Who else brings charges against God's elect? Was that? That's right. You do, right? You do. When you sin, what do you do? You bring a charge against yourself. <clears throat> and it's easy if we don't understand what Jesus Christ is doing to then fall back into legalism, mysticism, asceticism. I've got to do something to help Jesus out here. <laughs> I've got to do something. But if we go back to the last passage, what did Jesus do with our sins? He nailed it to the cross. And when Christ died, we died, and those sins were eliminated. How many of them? All of them. The bill was paid. And that's our focus. We keep looking to our Savior who's seated at the right hand of God, who has made us righteous, 
so that I don't have to provide my own righteousness. That's the key, I think. If, if we don't understand that, you can have all sorts of thoughts, but if, but if you don't understand what Christ has done for you, and, and look, I know we all intellectually know it, but I also know what happens when we sin and we beat ourselves up and we say, I'm no good, and how could God love me? And what does Romans say? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Uh, even the person who does it, it doesn't matter because Christ is the one who uh, justifies. The bill has been paid. I, I remember years ago, we have a, a Christmas tradition had it's falling apart now that all the kids have left, but um, we used to go into Reedley in our big white van. Some of you remember the big white van. We had our big white van, we'd go into Reedley, and we would go to, um, there was a house there that had all these lights. We'd go see the lights, then we'd drive up the streets that have all the, Chris, if you don't know it, there's Christmas stars and Christmas bells and Christmas trees, and we would sing Christmas carols on the way home, but we would go to El Monte's. And we would let the kids order whatever they wanted. We'd even let them order Cokes, okay? Uh, which is, you know, it's, it's hard for me to spend $3 on a Coke. But anyways, especially when there's 10 of us, you know, it's $30 just for the Cokes. And so they get to order whatever they want and we're, we're scraping for money. And one day I remember we kind of just let them go and the bill was like 120 bucks, which was a big deal for us, you know? So um, at that time, and I went up to pay the, the bill. And the, the lady says, cashier says, it's already been paid. So what do you mean it's already been paid? There was a gentleman there who said, I want to pay for their family. And I have never, I know who it was because I, I greeted him coming in. I, I, whenever I look at him, I think of his incredible generosity toward us. I mean, it just blew me away that he did that. And, and, and what Christ did for us is so much greater, right? I, I mean, it doesn't even begin to compare. And yet we, we take our eyes off of him, we put them on ourselves, we take the burden of our sin on ourselves, and we find ourselves slipping into these heresies, which take us away from Jesus Christ rather than take us toward him. So um, it's a magnificent passage. We didn't quite finish. Let me just go back to and, and end it. I do think there, I wish we could spend a little more time, but it says at the end of it, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you, you will also appear with him in glory. Uh, th these things are hidden right now. This is the faith aspect. Uh, these things are true, but we can't see them. Our life, your life, is hidden with Christ in God. And when he comes back, we come back with him in glory. Um, it's hard for us to see it now. It'll be perfectly clear at some point when Christ returns, when he comes back. It'll be perfectly clear to us. Right now it's hidden. It's even hidden from us. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. And praise the Lord that it is. So any comments before we, before we finish? Okay, let's go ahead and pray, and don't forget the angel tree over here.